We are going to be back in James this morning. But before we actually get to our text, I want you to think about this. There are 8 billion people in the world now. 8 billion. I can't even wrap my mind around that number. I try to come up with all kinds of examples, but basically the idea of 8 billion is just kind of, we can't grasp it, all right? Uh, In the United States, that's in the world. In the United States, we have over 330 million of those people. 330 million of those 8 billion live in the United States. And if you do the math, that means that only 4% of the entire world's population lives in the United States. Only 4%. Think about what that means. With this in mind, we come to understand even more poignantly how blessed we are that God has given us a home in the United States. Because less than 5% of all the people that live on the world live where we live. That blessing provides us opportunities and material advantages that most of the world does not have access to. In fact, most of the rest of the world can't even comprehend the blessings that we have access to. There is nothing wrong with being blessed by God in this way. However, because of our sinful nature, we often get so distracted by those blessings that we become blind to the reality that we live in a very dark and dangerous world. Our blessings blind us to what the world really is. We are so busy living in the blessings of God that we forget we live in a war zone. We forget Peter's warning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, someone to devour. That is our world. That is our life. And we need to grasp that. It doesn't mean that we lay aside and worry about that and and don't enjoy the blessings God has given us. I'm not saying that. But we also, at the same time, we do not want to be so blinded by the blessings that we have that we forget where we actually live. Satan seeks to devour us through a world system he now controls because God has allowed him to be the ruler of the world at this time. And the primary way Satan seeks to destroy us is through deception. And Jesus himself reveals this to us when he calls out the Pharisees in John chapter 8. He says, you are of your father the devil, and and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his, out of his own character, for he is a liar. And what? The father of lies. This is why being in God's Word is so important every day. It helps us not forget that we live in a world system run by somebody who wants to devour us, and he likes to devour us through deception. Most anybody in the world, and even um, many of us, if, if, if Satan came right out and just said, this is who I am, and uh, you can follow me, and, and everything, we would run away from that as quick as possible, because we know up front we don't want anything to do with it. So he deceives us. He, he, he makes the, this world system 
look like candy-coated cyanide. It's nice and pretty, and then we take it and we eat it, and it ends up destroying us. And that's why, as I said, we need to be in God's Word. His Word raises our eyes from the worldly distractions and reminds us of our salvation by faith. It reminds us how our hearts have been changed. It reminds us who we are and what our identity in Christ is. And I had a conversation uh, earlier this week about the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes tell us who we are. It's our identity. And the Word of God helps us understand that. The Beatitudes, we are poor in spirit. We mourn over sin. We are humble in spirit. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are merciful. We are pure in heart. We are peacemakers. We are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. That is who we are. That is our character. And because these things and others identify who we are in Christ Jesus, then it stands to reason that we are going to behave differently in this world than the rest of the world. We are so different. Our identity is so different that our behavior needs to be so different. And not because we do it, not because we always discipline ourselves to do it, but because it's who we are. It's because it's who we are. Over and over throughout God's Word, we find God reminding us how our salvation changes us, and therefore it changes how we behave. And this is why our study in the book of James is so very important. James is a concerned pastor, as we already know, who is concerned for a number of his flock who have been run out of Jerusalem because of persecution. He knows they will need guidance on how to behave as Christ followers in very pagan cultures. He knows that. And as he's writing to them, helping them understand what it means, how to behave in a pagan culture, we also get to learn how to behave in a pagan culture because we live in a pagan culture. And we have to understand that, a culture that is controlled by Satan. So James lays out very clearly what patterns of behavior these dispersed Christ followers should find growing in their lives. It's not like we're just going to automatically become these things or be these things when we accept Jesus, but we're going to be growing. We're going to be maturing. We're going to be moving forward. It's called the, the word for that is sanctification. We're going to be coming, becoming more and more and more in the pattern of behaviors that James is laying out for us as we mature in Christ. We've already seen that as Christ followers, we will grow in our ability to endure trials, chapter 1. We will be able to grow in our ability to properly ask God for wisdom in chapter 1. We will grow in our ability to deal with temptations, chapter 1. We will grow in our ability to be quick to hear and slow to speak. We will grow in our ability to be doers of God's Word instead of just hearers. And then he goes out and he's, he lists a bunch of things, that what it means to be doers of the Word. We're going to be growing in these things. The more that we grow in being doers uh, and not just hearers of God's Word, we're going to see these things increasing in our lives. We're going to be able to uh, bridle one's tongue. We're going to be compassionate to the needy. We're going to be able to keep oneself pure. We're going to be able to not show partiality. And we're going to have genuine faith that shows through good works. That's what it means to be doers of God's Word. And now we come up to chapter 3. And it's still under that idea of being doers of God's Word. James is going to bring up a topic of the believer's speech again. 
And he's going to reference it in the idea of the tongue. A believer's speech is a major concern for James because of this. The tongue reveals our spiritual temperature. Our tongue reveals our spiritual temperature. In other words, genuine faith is always demonstrated through our speech. Genuine faith is always demonstrated through our speech. How we speak is a pattern of behavior that brings the joy of assurance of salvation or brings fear of not knowing if we have genuine faith. James knows nothing reveals the heart more than how a person uses their tongue. And James is greatly concerned about that for this dispersed people of his flock. In fact, he is so concerned, he is so concerned about his people's speech that he mentions the tongue in every chapter. Every chapter. Turn with me to James chapter 1. And it's on page 1,288 of the Pew Bible, the red book in front of you, James chapter 1. Look at verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to what? Speak, referring to the tongue. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1. Verse 26, For the body apart from the Spirit is dead, and so also... Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, it does not bridle his tongue, but, de- but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Speaks of the tongue. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as though who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Jump over to chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. And then look at chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Make sure that you speak and how you speak is a yes or a no. Every chapter. And you say, well, Pastor Mark, Left out chapter 3. That's because we're going to look at it today. In fact, chapter 3 expands more than any other chapter this idea of our behavior and what it's supposed to look like when we speak. In chapter 3, uh, James leaves no wiggle room, for his dispersed, wiggle room for his dispersed flock. In your new life situation as persecuted believers, he says, your speech will reveal whether or not your life has been totally transformed or not. Their speech will be a tattletale on their heart. How many of you want to be a tattletale? That was like, I'm not supposed to be a tattletale in my house. That's when I was growing up as a kid. If I wanted to say, my sisters did this, and my mom would look at me and say, stop tattletaling. But I'm right, stop tattletaling. Our hearts tattletale on our speech, tattletales on our hearts. In our passage this morning, the words mouth and tongue are used frequently with reference to speech. James personifies them to make his point. He uses them this way to make the point the tongue only reacts to the heart. The mouth only responds to the heart. And I believe that James is remembering back what his brother Jesus Christ said when he was speaking to the Pharisees. Uh, James was around Jesus his whole life. He didn't become a Christ follower. He didn't become a believer uh, or have faith in his brother till after his brother died on the cross. 
but he was around Jesus. And I think that at this point in time that James remembers what his brother said to the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, every word that comes out of your mouth starts where? In your heart. And there's no way to hide what your heart is. It will come out. Jesus is clear, the tongue reveals the heart. Nowhere is the union of faith and works more visible than in your speech and my speech. I don't know if you knew this, but we speak a tremendous number of words each day. It has been said our words could produce about 66 800-page books per year. Think about that. 66 800-page books per year. Like my mom used to put it, a thermometer under my tongue to check my physical temperature to see if my body was sick. James, in chapter 3, is going to say that all those words that pass across our tongue reveal, like a thermometer, what our spiritual temperature is. Some may feel James is overstating what our speech, our tongues reveal about our hearts, but listen to the counsel of others in God's Word. Our speech is, uh, reveals our hearts is spoken about by more than just James. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The idea is the heart carries through to both of those. And then we see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, which we've already looked at, Matthew quoting Jesus when he's responding to the Pharisees, do you brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when <clears throat> good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And then we have Jesus, Matthew quoting Jesus when he responds to Peter. If you want to turn to Matthew 15, starting in verse 16, you can see the page number for your pew Bible there. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 16. And this is Jesus speaking to Peter. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he, Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? He's talking about eating. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds where? From the heart, and it does what? Defiles a person. For out of the heart come, thoughts, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Then we also have in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Now Luke is a different person. We've had James quoting the same thing as Matthew. James quoting the same thing as Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasures produce evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The bottom line is this. All those thousands of words we speak each day reveal if our hearts have been changed by genuine faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself says that each word we speak will be judged at the judgment seat. And we need to understand this. We need to grasp this passage. Look at this, Matthew chapter 12. I tell you, Jesus is saying this, on the day, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every what? Every careless word they speak. How many careless words have we spoken in our lifetimes? that we will give account for. And listen to what he says. For by your words, 
by your words you will be justified, which means made right, legally right with God. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What will condemn you at the judgment seat? Your words. Your words. And every careless word that we have ever spoken, we will be held accountable to. Every single one. We could spend considerable time looking at what the Bible reveals about our speech and how it affects our lives. But for now, I think we all see that, we, that what we say, each word we say, can have eternal significance. Every time you open your mouth, the words that come out can have eternal significance. And this is so important for us to understand before we tackle what James wrote, writes about the tongue. And that's why I've had this long introduction this morning the tongue is a restless evil, and the words James quote, wrote to guide his flock are still of utmost importance to every single one here today. Everything James is going to write about the tongue over the next two weeks, because it's going to take us two weeks to go through this, applies to us. It applies to us. We are blessed beyond measure living where we do, but that blessing can blind us to the importance of our words and again, that's why I've taken the time to walk us through this. So let's all turn to James chapter 3, which is on page 1290. And let's stand as we read verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It's on page 1290 of the Red Pew Bible. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and, setting, uh, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father God, we come to you this morning as we begin our study of James chapter 3, and we ask that you would touch our hearts, open our minds, Lord God, to the truths of your word about the importance of how we speak, the importance of how we control our tongue. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. James begins his teaching here on the tongue with something we need to just really grasp a hold of. He begins his teaching on the tongue by warning his dispersed flock, beware of becoming a teacher. Beware of becoming a teacher. The direct context of, our whole, of this whole passage that we just read is directed at those who might be considering taking an opportunity to teach. 
Remember, he is writing to Christ followers who were dispersed. And even though they may find other Jewish communities in the area, uh, the region that they were dispersed to, they would have very little success in finding anybody that was a Jewish Christ follower. Because Christianity had just been born in Jerusalem, had not been there very long, and so it had not spread. So when they were dispersed, when they were run out by persecution of Jerusalem, because they were Christ followers... They were going to go to pagan cities. We looked at that a long time ago. They were going to go into the region where there were cities that had idols and pagan worship and prostitutes in the temples, and it was just a pagan situation, and they would not have been able to have very many teachers. And so what we have to understand is that men that were, uh, the men that were dispersed, they were going to do what? They were going to have to teach, or some of them wanted to teach. In the Jewish mindset, who were some of the most respected people in all of their society? Teachers, rabbis, Pharisees, scribes. And so now they're uh, in a small group and they're in, a, in an area where there's, that they need teaching. And as soon as somebody starts thinking of being a teacher, what crosses their mind? Whoa, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to speak God's word. I'm going to become a leader. That's the situation that these dispersed people find themselves in, this, these dispersed Christians. It would have been tempting for these men to, be want, to want to be seen as teachers, but James wanted them to know, first thing about when they're talking about the tongue, wanted them to know by taking on the role of a teacher, they were taking on a very serious business, and he was making a very clear point don't take this on. Don't even really want it. Not many of you should become teachers. And he gives them a very, very strict warning. You must understand, he says, that teachers carry a great liability, and it's because teachers will be ju- and because of this, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Take a look at chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach, so he includes himself in this, will be judged with greater strictness. Those who take on the responsibility to speak with authority, he is saying, listen to me. I know what God is saying in this passage. I am going to have to give an account, and any teacher here is going to have to give an account for every word they teach. If you're a teacher, that ought to send shivers through your body because you are going to be held accountable at a greater strictness, at a greater level of judgment for what you do. Listen to what God says through the writer of Hebrews. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Think about that. Who's he talking to? Leaders in the church. And he says, echoes James, These people, these leaders will have to give an account. I will have to give an account to God specifically for what I teach. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. We won't go into that. Just take that to heart, all right? Because what we do in teaching is difficult business. It's hard. It's work. We'll see some more of that later. This is why the first time John Knox, a Scottish Reformed preacher, very well known, very influential in the Reformation, the first time he went into a pulpit, 
He wept so uncontrollably that they had to take him out because he was so burdened with the task at hand. He couldn't even speak when he got behind the pulpit because he felt the burden of being a teacher. Pastor Bruce Thielman gets our attention when he says this, there is no special honor in preaching, there is only special pain. Because teachers are going to, preachers are going to be held to a very strict standard. The question we have to ask is what kind of teacher is he referring to? Is it just pastors? Is it just those who are leading the church? The word he uses for teacher here can be uh, used to refer to official teachers like rabbis, uh, Pharisees and scribes, pastors and elders. That's a, a general term for teaching. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And he gave some apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and what? Teachers. And these, all of those there, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, those are all main church leaders. Those are people who have authority within the church. So the word teacher can apply to those like me, to those who do this, okay, as a person of authority, a church authority. But it can also be referred to people who are informal teachers. Here's the writer of Hebrews again in chapter 5, and he's talking to the church in general. He is not talking just to pastors in this passage. He says, for though by this time you ought to be what? Teachers. Gen- the same general word we saw in the previous passage and in James. He's saying, he's talking to the congregation. Some of you should have been teachers. Some of you should have matured to the point right now where you should be teachers. But you still need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. So we see the idea of teachers here in an informal sense. Not necessarily a church leader, but he's talking to the congregation. There were official teachers and informal teachers in the Jewish community. And when James says, don't desire to be a teacher, he does not limit that with any explanation. He doesn't refer to any type of teacher. And therefore, because of the word and because he doesn't limit it, we understand that this warning is coming to anybody who takes on any task of teaching God's word. If you claim to be a teacher, if you pass on God's word as a teacher, understand that what you are saying or what you're going doing is going to be judged very strictly by God. That means we have to prepare right. We have to prepare well. It takes hours to prepare. We have to read. We have to pray. We have to, to get ready. If we do not do our due diligence, if we just kind of throw something together, if it just becomes something that we do because, you know, I have a couple, a couple half an hour here or whatever, or some people, even 15 minutes before they teach, you see them trying to write out what they're doing. If we're not studying, if we're not getting prepared, we are going to be held accountable at a strict level. Within the church, this would apply to pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, Bible study teachers, small group teachers, anyone who would have the opportunity to teach God's Word, present God's Word. And James cautions anyone who would desire to become a teacher at any level, whether it's official or unofficial, don't rush into that responsibility because you are going to answer to our God. Everyone who endeavors to teach the truth must understand the tremendous responsibility that he or she undertakes. Do not seek to be a teacher unless you really understand what you're taking on and the responsibility that God is going to hold you to. 
And you ask, well, why is there such liability in becoming a teacher? Why is there a stricter judgment? We find it in verse 2. Because it is very hard to control the tongue. It's hard to control the tongue. Look at verse 2 of James chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James admits everyone, including himself, stumbles. Everyone sins. It's part of the human condition. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that. Second Chronicles, starting in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 6.36, For there is no one who does not sin. Well, who does that include? Everybody, okay? Proverbs 29, who can say, I have made my head pure, my heart pure, I am clean from my sin. What's the inference there? Nobody can say this, okay? 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Basically, you're saying, if we say that you have no sin, you're not saved. That's what he's saying. Romans 3, 23, everybody quote this with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. It is part of the human condition. However, even though everyone sins, James points out, if a person can begin to gain control over their tongue, they are demonstrating that they are growing in spiritual maturity. And that word there, he says in verse 2, he says, for if we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. That idea there of perfect is not perfect because nobody can be perfect. There's only one person that was ever perfect, and that was Jesus Christ. But that word there, and some of your translations will have it, is the idea of mature. Mature. And we need to notice something also in verse 2. How many of you have been, really been pretty, like, laid back here, and you go, oh man, James is talking to teachers, because he begins that. This whole section from chapter verse 1 to verse 12, he starts off addressing teachers. How many of you are sitting back going, oh cool man, I'm not a teacher, these don't apply to me. Okay, we all have a tendency to do that, right? We, like, we, we say, hey, you know, it doesn't apply to me. It's important for us to know, but it's not personal. But notice how he changes and begins to change in verse 2. He says, we, what? All stumble. So who does that referring to? Everybody who's reading this letter. And then he says, if anyone. What's he beginning to do? He says, understand, teachers have this responsibility. And I'm going to talk about the tongue, about teachers, and that is the general context. But he says, we all need to understand that what I'm going to say about the tongue applies to whom? Everybody not just the teachers that I started with. He makes that, uh, starts making that transition there in verse 2. He began with teachers in mind and still has them in mind, but as he continues to speak about the tongue, he enfolds everyone else in the church. He knows it's not just teachers who struggle with controlling the tongue, controlling how we speak, controlling what we say or how we say it. So the rest of the passage that we are going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, he is addressing to not just the teachers, but to all Christ followers. And notice that James makes a very interesting statement at the end of verse 2. At the end of verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle his whole body. Able also to bridle his whole body. Don't miss this very, very tremendous practical spiritual principle in that phrase. It's one that I've really never 
thought about because I've never really preached through James before. But here's what he's saying. Bridling your tongue leads to the bridling of your entire body. Bridling your tongue leads to the bridling of your body. And when he says body, he's not referring to just the flesh. He's referring to you as a person. Your body, soul, and spirit. Everything that you are. That's what he means there when he says the, uh, that you'll be able to control your body. And this is true because it's so easy for the tongue to tattletale, as I said before, on what's in the heart. It's also very easy for the tongue to reveal the sin that is in our heart. And I like how John MacArthur uh, put this. He makes it just really, really visible in his words about what the tongue and the tongue revealing who we are and the, what the tongue does. Here's what he says. The Bible directly, directly refers or indirectly refers to a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, an exaggerating tongue, etc., etc. He says, and then he finishes that list with this. Did you see your tongue anywhere in there? He pretty much hit everybody here. Probably pretty much hit everybody here more than once. That is the seriousness of the tongue. It is so easy for the tongue to reveal what's in our heart. It is so easy for the tongue to reveal the sin that resides within us. It is so easy for us to sin through the tongue. And he says, this is why you do not want to be a teacher because you are going to find a struggle with when you speak as much as a teacher does that you're going to be caught in your tongue sinning. He goes, and don't desire that. And for all of us, remember, he's talking to all of us. We all found ourselves in that list. We all found ourselves understanding that our tongue is so, so able to reveal who we are in our hearts, the sin that is in our hearts. This is not new to us. We all experience the battle with our sinful tongues. Our tongues just seem to put on public display the simple thoughts and desires and motivations of our hearts. How many times have you watched something come out of your mouth and you're looking like, or thinking, why in the world did I say this? And even if you know that you were saying it and you chose to say it because you were mad, later on in the day you're sitting in your easy chair and you're sitting back and you go, why in the world did I say that? I hurt them, I eviscerated them, I... I call them to task in a wrong tone. We all experience that. No matter how hard we try, our speech reveals more quickly than anything else the sin that is in our hearts. No matter how hard we try, our speech reveals more quickly the sin in our hearts than anything else. You know what that says to me? Here's the spiritual, the practical part of this phrase. If I want to focus my Christian life on one thing, if I want to get my spiritual act together, if I want to bring my whole spiritual life under control, the first thing I need to do is work on my tongue. If I want to spiritually grow, the first thing I need to do is work on my tongue, work on my speech, so that I do not fall in any of those categories in that list. 
We know it's not fully possible to have a totally holy tongue. But the more able we are to control our tongue with the help of the Holy Spirit, the more we will be able to control our other sinful desires of our lives. It will translate into spiritual growth in other, other areas of our lives where we struggle if we begin with our tongue first. Do you want to grow spiritually? Then you need to work on your tongue first and foremost. If we learn to bridle our tongues, which is the most volatile and most potent revealer of sin of our lives, then what we learn in bridling our tongues will serve us, serve us well as we try to bridle other areas. Because if we can bridle our tongue, if we can begin to have some semblance of control over our tongue, the discipline that we learn there will translate to other areas of our life when we're trying to discipline ourselves to stay away from others. It is so simple and so dynamic that if we would just concentrate on the tongue, great things will change in our lives. In other words, focus on your mouth. That's easy, right? Focus on your mouth. So, how can we begin to gain control over our tongue? First, we have to be intentional. Controlling our tongues will never happen by accident. Look at what Psalm 39.1 says. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so as long as the wicked are in my presence. I will guard, I will put a muzzle on my mouth is what we see in 39.1. That's intentional. Have you ever put a muzzle on a dog? How intentional do you have to be? Most of the time you have to tackle them, lay them on the ground, especially the first time you do it, and you have to have somebody else hold their head. And what's that dog doing? You are not going to do this to me. It's intentional. We have to intentionally put muzzles on our mouths. It'll never happen by accident. And then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have to put bad speech away from our lives. Here it says in Ephesians 4.29, Understand the breadth of this verse. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk. How many of you want to, that defined? How many here want to know what he means by no corrupting? But he answers that question. The only thing that's supposed to come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as the occasion fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That is the definition of no corrupting. You don't say anything unless it lines up with those three things. How far are we away from that on a regular basis? Let no corrupting thing come from your mouth. Only speak when you can build somebody up. Only speak when it fits the occasion. Only speak when it gives grace to those who hear. And if it doesn't do that, keep your mouth shut. How much will that reduce our speaking in much of our lives? How much will that reduce our speaking on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Are those all form of speech? Yeah. Is it a form of speech when we talk to ourselves? Nobody can know about it. It's in our minds, right? But if we're speaking to ourselves as we're driving down the street or if whatever we're doing, if we're speaking to ourselves, is that speech covered by this? Absolutely. If you're driving and somebody pulls out in front of you and you let loose, 
Does it fit the occasion to be as a Christ follower? No. Does it, uh, is it good for building yourself up? No. Does it give you grace and you're hearing what you're saying to yourself? No. All of that is stopped. He says, let no corrupting. You want to stop your tongue from getting out of hand? We have to put bad speech. I'm going to read another one to you. It's not. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3, portions of verses 1 through 10. If then you've been raised with Christ, that means if you're saved, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But now, he's going to list some of the things that we've been talking about. But now you must put them all away. You must put them all away if you are a Christ follower. Now he's going to give you a list. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self. All those things we work at making disappear from our lives. Here's one that some of us need to listen to. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know what uh, the, the, uh, Solomon is saying? We need to stop talking so much. We need to stop posting so much. We just need to be quiet more. Because when we speak too much, the more we speak, what is the likelihood is going to happen? The more we're going to be in that tongue list. We need to stop speaking so much. We also see it again in Proverbs 13.3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens his mouth, his lips come to ruin. We need to stop talking so much. If we don't have something to say that lines up with Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4, then we need to be quiet, or we need to contemplate, or we need to pray. Does this need to be saved? There is no such thing as just popping off. Well, I just pop off. I don't think about it. Nope. How do we know that physically? Can a word come out of your mouth unless it is formed by your brain? There's no such thing as just popping off. Well, I, I, it just came out. Nope. Who's going to be held accountable for that? You. Me. Because you have to think every time you speak. Because you have to think every time you speak. Then one that we've already seen, Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. How do we begin to correct our speech, realize that what you say reveals who you are. And I'm going to tell you something. If we really believe that that's true, how many of you want so much of yourself being revealed? Now we go back to what we said before. The only way not to reveal all that stuff is to what? Don't talk so much. I don't want all my sin that the, my tongue will reveal about me out here for you all to see. I don't want so much of myself revealed to you. But if I speak a lot, guess what? My heart's going to be revealed. My true heart is going to be revealed. You say, well, how do I stop that? How do I begin to, what change do I make? Well, here's the answer in Psalm 71a. 
My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day. You want to know something? If you're focused on God, you're praising God for what he's done for you. If you're thanking God for what he's done for you in the day, you don't have time for bad speech. You don't have time for bad speech. Be busy using your tongue for praise so it cannot be used for sin. Be busy using your tongue for praise, for thanksgiving, so it can't be used for sin. And then another one, the last one here. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Most importantly, how do we change our tongue? Know that, what you, that you will be held accountable for your words. If it comes out of your mouth, you need to stop immediately and think, how am I going to be? How does God see this? How is God going to hold me accountable for this? And looking at God and saying, well, they made me. Is that going to work? But they did this. They made me so angry. They lied about me. They... What's God, God's going to say, that's not my tongue. Did Jesus Christ ever respond when so many accusations were being spoken to him? He went to the cross as a what? Lamb to the slaughter. He did not speak a word. And there were lies upon lies upon lies heaped upon him, and he did not say a word. And he says, you be like me. You be like me. So as we conclude this morning, James still has much to say about the tongue in light of what he has taught us this morning. Let's, to review some things, if you are a teacher here this morning, or if you ever think that you want to be a teacher, don't forget the heavy burden responsibility. Don't forget you are going to be held responsible for your study, for your preparation, for your speech, how you lay it out. You're going to be held responsible for everything. You will stand before God and give an account for your teaching. And so we need to understand something. Don't be too quick to want to be a teacher. It may carry authority, it may carry prestige, but man, you need to back away from that. Say, I, I, do I really want to accept that responsibility? And also, as I close... Take James' advice to heart. If you want to grow spiritually, and I think that all of us do, the place to start is our tongue. And if we are just honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us here, including myself, need to work even more on that. We need to work more on that. Because how many times this week have you misused your tongue? How many times have you sniped off or popped off? How many times have you responded with a tood? Remember, God is watching. And we need to understand that. But you want to know something? As Christ followers, we are not condemned by our tongues because 
our sins are as far as the east from the rest. And you know what God has provided? When we recognize that we do this, when we start growing spiritually and we say, well, that shouldn't have come out of my mouth, then we know that God is graceful and God is merciful. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Because I have needed to do that this week because of my tongue. A lot of times we know we shouldn't have said something and we just pass it off. Shouldn't have done that and we just go on with living instead of feeling the grief of the sin in our hearts. If we want to impact the world around us, then we need to behave differently with our speech because it will show who we really are. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what James is teaching us and and what we're learning about our tongue. And as we move further through this passage, Father, we're going to be challenged even more. I pray, Lord God, that we will look at this as an opportunity to grow spiritually. That we know that you are speaking as a shepherd through James the shepherd, saying, let me help you grow like you need to grow. Let me help you watch your tongue. Let me help you understand the influence your tongue has. Let me help you understand that you will be held accountable for every careless word. Father, thank you for what you're teaching us through James. Father, help us not to just be hearers of the word. Help us not to walk out of here and just forget what we heard. But help us to be doers of the word. And look to your word on how we can become better speakers better behaved speakers. In Christ's name, amen.